0: Hello, welcome to Vineyard KC West podcast. For more information, visit us at vineyardkcwest.com. Well, we are in week one of a a two-week message series called Church and Kingdom. And so we're going to take two weeks to walk through what is the church. And then next week, we're going to look at what is the kingdom. And it's important to have the distinction. They're not going to be comprehensive, but the, there's note sheets on the end of your row. You can grab one. They're also online on our website if you want a physical distance from them. Uh, but it's important to know the distinctions. And if you take the notes from both weeks, you'll have a good idea what the church is, and then also, to what the kingdom is. And then after that, we're going to go to an eight-week series about Moses. And we're going to be doing that in conjunction. Um, I'll share more about it next week. We're going to do that in conjunction with, with different teachers. And so it's really going to be a, a, a fun series to go through. So when we, when we answer the question, what is the church? We hopefully immediately go back to, what's my interaction with these Jesus people? What's my interaction with these people that, uh, that call themselves Christians? And I know for me, from the beginning, as a, as a 15-year-old, uh, meeting these Jesus people, I, I, they, they loved me, they welcomed me, uh, they fed me, right? Um, and they, they helped put healing balm upon my, upon my wounds. Um, they helped encourage me um, and, and they called me on my stuff, right? Uh, when I get off track, they call me on, their, on my stuff. They help me understand uh, who I am. Um, they recognize God's work in my life And here's the cool thing that started when I was 15, but it's continued, right? All of those things like these, this wonderful thing called the church. And it was something totally foreign for me. Um, I, I didn't. And again, I I shared last week, I don't really associate necessarily the religion with the building or whatever, because I didn't grow up in a building doing religion. So I was kind of like, what it's about? Well, you know, when it comes to the church, Jesus started it, right? Jesus started this community called the church, and it started out with just him. And then he started calling people, hey, hey, you, why don't you come follow me? Hey, you fishermen, you know, come and be a a fisher of men. Hey, hey, you follow me in fine life. Hey, you turn away from this and follow me. And he pushed against the religious and the irreligious alike, and all of a sudden, you created this wonderful community called the church. And so, what we're going to look at today, we're going to go pretty quick. Okay, we're going to move pretty quick through. So, so buckle your seatbelt, All right, we're going to go through a bunch of different scriptures, and and so it, we're not going to be super exhaustive in any of them. But I want you to get a grasp for what it is you're doing what it is we are doing as as a body, because it's so important, because sometimes you can kind of just get in this mode and really forget what you're doing, Uh, you know, like why you're doing what you're doing and who you are. So we're going to start with first, we're going to start with that the church is hospital and army. So Isaiah 61 verse 1 through 3 says this, it says, the spirit of the sovereign Lord is on me. Because the Lord has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. And this is the, in the Old Testament, okay, pointing forward. Jesus, in his first sermon, actually read this text. In his first sermon, he got up in the synagogue. So he was declaring, this is, this is fulfilled today in my reading of this. And he says, he sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim freedom for the captives and release from darkness for the prisoners, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor and the day of vengeance of our God to comfort all who mourn and to provide for those who grieve in Zion to bestow on them a crown of beauty instead of ashes, the oil of joy, instead of mourning in a garment of praise instead of a spirit of despair. Okay, so... I think somehow that... that, that Yeah, it seemed Okay. Um, The whole, the whole verse isn't up there. Um, But so Isaiah 61, one through three shows this picture of, of the church being a hospital. Um, Why? Well, Jesus declared that this was his mission in Luke chapter four. This is the mission that he had um, when he came, which was to heal up people is, is, and so the church is actually a hospital for sinners, Right, it was actually dear Abby. Right, um, Abby, you know, you remember the, the on, in the newspapers, people write in. She actually termed that phrase. She said, she said this: the church is a hospital for sinners, not a museum for saints. Right, and then and then John Wimber, who who, who founded you know the Vineyard movement, he said this. He said, as a hospital, we yearn to provide healing and restoration for those who have been wounded. Specifically, we must. Become skilled in our helping ministries and lift our level of understanding, training, and methodology. And pray for more anointing and power as it relates to Scripture and to the Holy Spirit's working among us. And so, the church is always to be a place that that the wounded, that the sick, see the church is a place to get healed. You know, whether it's physical healing, whether it's emotional or relational healing. Um, you know, it's it's a place that, that the the you know, like just like. Um, Uh, Last year, I woke up and I had vertigo, like in the middle of the night. Uh, It was a week after Easter, and uh, and, and all of a sudden, I'm like, whoa, something's wrong. And so, you know, I didn't go to Mickey D's to get a, you know, a, a breakfast sandwich, right, to get fixed. Where did I go? I went to the hospital, right? I went to the hospital because that's where they healed people. And so people have to feel like the church Is the place where it's like, look, if I'm hurting, if I have pain, if I'm messed up, the church is where I go. And so it's such an important distinctive that we would see the church as a hospital for sinners. And you can ask yourself, you know, um, am I somebody that is being healed and I'm also focused on healing others? And a church should ask themselves, is this a place that people come to get healed or, also too, am You know, are we are we putting that out there? Like, do I make that real clear to people? And then the next thing is 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 an army. And so Isaiah sixty one verse four it says, "They will rebuild the ancient ruins and restore the places long devastated. They will renew the ruined cities that have been devastated for generations." And so, who is it talking about? It's talking about the people that got healed up. Isn't that cool? So you've got these people that are messed up, and and, and, and they're lost, and, and they're in prison, and they're outcast, and they need all kinds of healing. And then all of a sudden, they get put into an army. They get put into this group of people that now they are the ones that, I mean, look at the language, they rebuild the ancient ruins. Well, the ancient ruins of what? The ancient ruins of lives. The ancient ruins of families, right? I and mean, we can all look back at our families in and, and our, and our line and we can say, wow, things tore down right there or, or things fell down. And so the people of God as an army come and rebuild cities, rebuild structures, rebuild life. That's what we are to do as an army. And so what we do is we want to be committed to benevolence and evangelism and, and sharing the good news with people and, and helping the gaps, in, in the culture, right? There's kind of this idea that, well, the government will take care of everything. The government's never taken everything. It's, it's, it's groups, it's people that see the gaps and say, let's fill those. We do that. Like We have a, we have a food pantry um, that, that Erica Simon you know, leads uh, on Thursdays. We're moving it to Saturdays here pretty quick. But people drive in here and they get food. Why? Because they need it. There's a gap. They're not getting what they need. We have problems with our economy. We have problems. So, so there's a gap. So, so that's like an army move, right? It's just like, hey, we're going to go fill this gap and take care of this and rebuild this. It, you know, I don't know if you've ever been at, without food, right? Um, and it's, it's, kind of a, um, you know, it's kind of a hard thing, you know, to, like where am I going to eat or what am I going to eat? And so for somebody to come and get a box and be encouraged, it takes that stress away. So heart check wise on these first two ones that, that, um, you know, we hospital and army, um, you know, are we open for being healed? Because unless the church is still in a place of like, this is a place for me to be healed. People won't want to come be healed. It's just when they, they'll notice if these are wounded healers or not, you know, they'll notice whether that, you know, w- whether that's true or not. And then two, are we healing? Right. And this could go for the church global, and then and then a local church like us. Um, and then a, a key question as far as the armies, you know, what are the makeup of our battles? What are the makeup of the battles of the local church or the church wide? Like, are the battles all like inward, like fighting over stuff, like fighting over the color of the carpet? or fighting over the 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 color of the paint for the outside of the building or or fighting over the battles of 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 really insignificant things, right? If those are the battles that that the army of God are fighting over, then then what do you get? But if the battles are fighting for justice for those that are experiencing injustice, if the battles are fighting for the outcast to be brought in to the place and in family of God. Um, fighting for those that that need the help, fighting for for people to see the light, fighting for people to be rescued from a life apart from God. Those are the battles that we're called to. But we can kind of of get mixed up in, in these little battles every once in a while. The next thing that we see is that the church is body and bride. And so first body. So 1 Corinthians 12, verse 12 through 13, it says, Just as a body, though one, has many parts but all its many parts form one body. So it is with Christ. For we were all baptized by one spirit. So as to form one body, whether Jews or Gentiles, slave or free. And we were all given the one spirit to drink. And so you see this all throughout the new Testament, that, that the church is this body. Well, whose body? Well, it's Jesus's body. So Jesus is no longer here physically on earth. And so now the church are his hands and his feet. And so it's actually, you first hear that and you're like, wow, what do I do with that? I know for me, when I first heard things like this, like, how do we do this? But then you think and you you read Jesus and you get to know Jesus and you say, well, if we're his body, then we do the things that he would do if he was still here bodily, and so, so what do we see him do when we read him? Well, we see him, we see him healing the sick. We see him casting out demons. We see, him, we see him caring for the poor. We see him helping people become who they're meant to be, right? Like, don't you love the passages where Jesus calls out, like with Peter, and he says, hey, your name means this, like sifting sand, right? But I call you Petros, rock. And he called him out, and he says, like, this is who you're going to become. Like, this is who, how God sees you. And so that's what a body does—is they help bring people in who God made them to be. See, that's that's what I like. I bought into, is, you know, I, I didn't like all of a sudden get straight right away, but the love of God through the church just loved me, loved me. I think that's why God made me a pastor is to keep me as close as possible. You know, just keep me as close as possible to, to work on me because the love of God through His people helps you see who you are and, and see who God made you to be. That's what a body does. And, and, and when you think of a body, like we all need each other. Late, later on in this passage in 1 Corinthians, it speaks of like, you know, like the foot needing the body and, and, the, and, and, you know, you've got a heart and eyes and ears and nose. Like you need all of those. If if one of them is off, then, then the whole body suffers. And so we're a body. And, and to question that is to say, well, if we're a body, like, are you doing your part, right? Are are you do, are you doing your part? Like, you know, if you're a hand, you know, are are, are the hands of the body like tied behind its back? Because that's as I talk to people. Some people, and I get it. I mean, you know, some people say, "Ah, oh, I'm tired of church or tired of getting together, and I don't need it. I just do. I just." you know, I just do my own thing or whatever. And the problem with that is, that is that other people need you. Like God designed you for other people. And so it's just not a thing of like, well, I don't need other people. It's like, no, they need you. They absolutely need you. And it's not just a, the, the friendly thing too. God puts people together too that, that will kind of sharpen each other. There's friction too, right? Like it's not just like, hey, these going people be my best friend. This isn't just about like kumbaya, like gathering up around the fire. God is, is radically making you into the person that you're supposed to be. And he does that through other people. And so that's why you have to be just all in involved with what God is doing. And then the next thing is, is, is the church is the bride. And, um, you know, this image is, is so real because of the wedding yesterday... I love you know everybody looks at the bride when you walk in 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 good good reason right um, and, and she, the bride yesterday with her parents both of them walking her down just so beautiful and in in together and beautiful dress and just glowing right but if you want to know where the money shot is look at the groom look at the groom and, and so I just looked yesterday and, and there was kind of a platform like this and he was kind of there waiting to take his bride and so I kind of like you know, looked in because the expression is just amazing. Why? Because he looks and he sees just this beautiful person that has made herself ready for him. She's giving herself to him and he's giving himself to her. And so it's beautiful. And so the church is the bride of Christ. In Ephesians um, Ephesians chapter 5, Verse 25, it says, Husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, to make her holy, cleansing her by the washing with water through the word, and to present her to himself as a radiant church, without stain or wrinkle or any other blemish, but holy and blameless. You see that picture? We're the bride of Christ. And there's other scriptures that you can go through, including like in Revelation, where you see the marriage supper of the lamb, right? And the marriage supper of the lamb is this culmination where Jesus says to his disciples in John 14, he says, look, I'm going to go prepare a place for you. You know, and then a little bit later, he says, I'm the way, the truth and life. No one comes to the father except through me. And he's like, hey, I'm going to go prepare a place for you. Like mansions for you, space for you. And don't get hung up on mansions. The idea is, is that it's really good. I'm going to go make space for you with my father. That's what he's been doing for 2000 years. And then there's going to be this marriage supper of the lamb. And it says, blessed is who's invited to the marriage supper of the lamb. And it's like, well, who's invited? Everyone's invited. But it's like this wedding yesterday. You have to RSVP. You have to let them know you're coming. So a wedding where everyone's invited, but you have to say, yes, I'm in. I'm going to that wedding. I'm a part of the bride of Christ. Now for you big football guys, you're like, I ain't no bride. You know, what are we talking about here? No, you are. You are. And what it means is it's just this lavishing of the affection and love of Jesus on you. Like that's how he sees you as his bride, prepared for him, prepared for glory, Because there's going to be this big marriage supper, and it's just going to be like anything. It's not going to be like anything you've ever thought of. This big spread, this big banquet. And Jesus is there. And there's only goodness. There's only unity. There's only love. And so there's, there's this big party that happens in that place And the bride is prepared for that. Michelle and I, before we had kids, we had some friends, and their daughter was a youth leader in our youth group, and they did this thing. And we had heard about it, and we were just kind of like, oh man, I hope they invite us to one of these. And they would invite some people over, and they would treat them like the bride of Christ. And so it was just this big meal and music. And it it was just like showering this affection. They saw that as a ministry of theirs. And so I was kind of like, oh, man, I hope they invite us sometime. You know, I'm I'm ready. And that's what they called it, like this bride of Christ meal. And so we went there and experienced this. And it was just this. The hardest thing for me was I'm just like, well, can I help with something? You know, hey, do you need anything? Or do you need me to do that? And, and it, it kind of undid me because I'm like, wait a minute. Like, that's how Jesus wants me. Just re, will you just receive my affection? Will you just receive my love in this place? And so the church is the bride of Christ. Now, the next thing, the church is house and school. And so first house. And the idea here is when you think of house, you think of family, right? That's the whole idea. Well, I mean, think about it. You've got a father, you've got a son, you've got Holy Spirit, right? And it's this inviting in to this family. Like that, that's what it's all about is, is that we become family. So in Ephesians chapter one, or um, uh, Galatians chapter three, verse 26, it says, so in Christ, you are all children of God through faith. Isn't that good? we're all children of god through faith like i remember i remember as a young boy like watching uh, and maybe you have this experience too like watching like how different dads interacted with their kids and you know my dad's this way their dad's this way and it was just always curious to me like you know they interact this way they do this they they handle it this way And like all dads are different right um, just like all moms are different and families are different and and Um, I was just always curious for some reason, just like I just loved watching how the family systems happen. If you read the Gospels, you can look in, in the very beginning, like Jesus, to identify with us, he was baptized, not because he had sin that he was moved away from, but to identify with us. And at his baptism, you hear the Father, and then you have the Holy Spirit came down as a dove, and he says, this is my son. Whom I am well pleased. And then you see another moment up on the mountain, and and God says, This is my son, listen to him. And you see this picture of the family, and I'm like, man, that's a family I want to be a part of. Like, just total approval. And, And what you see is Jesus hadn't done anything yet. So you see that it wasn't this love that the Father had for Jesus wasn't based upon his performance. So there wasn't a scorecard. This is my son who really has knocked it out of the park. And now I, I, I really adore him. And so when we join the family of God, we become children of God by faith, right? It's not our works or what we've done. But it's just I'm bringing me. Like, I, I can't be good enough. I can't be bad. It's just by faith. I'm trusting through Jesus. And then in verse 5 of ch- uh, chapter 4 of Galatians, it says, to redeem those under the law that we might receive adoption to sonship, right? Have you seen that? Um, I, I forget where he is. Maybe it's in Georgia. But there was this boy that put out there in 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 a video. Anybody seen that? There's this video, and like nine thousand people went to adopt him because he put this video out and 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 he just said, you know, he just said something really humble, boy. When somebody comes, I just hope they choose me. And just something, you know, and, and now all of a sudden they have all these things. And, you know, maybe you, maybe you know that. Maybe you were a foster child or maybe you were in a position to be adopted. But we all have this thing of wanting to be a part of this family with God. And to think that God adopts us into sonship and daughtership. Like he takes us into his home and adds his name to us. And now we're a part of his family. Is just amazing. It says, Because because you are his sons, God sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, the spirit who calls out, Abba, Father. So you are no longer a slave, but God's child. And since you are his child, God has made you also an heir. Whoa. Now, what does an heir have? Well, an heir, it means that everything that is the father's is yours. And guess what? It doesn't say, like, when you die and go to heaven. It it says he's made you an heir. So think about that. You actually have everything. Like, everything that is the Father's is yours today. Everything that God has is yours. But it's through relationship. It's not this transaction. It's this transformational relationship. How would we live differently if... Like, how would we approach things differently? You know what? I got it. Like, God has everything, and he's going to share it with me. I'm an heir of his. How would I approach relationships differently? How would I approach people differently when they maybe treat me poorly? Or how would I approach maybe when I have lack? Or how would I approach things when I have abundance? To realize that actually everything that's real, everything that's lasting that I have comes from him how would i do that as an heir now the next thing is as a school so the church is school and this is the last one as we look at and the church are ones that have made a certain decision about a question that the disciples of John asked Jesus see John was in prison and he he the cousin of Jesus and he gave up everything And he's sitting in prison and he's like, hey, I want to make sure if I'm sacrificing all that I am, is Jesus really the one we're looking for? Is he Messiah? Is he really the one? So he sends his disciples and they ask him this, are you the one who is to come or should we expect someone else? Fair question, right? And it's been, it's been asked for thousands of years, and you may be asking it today, you know, like, look, should I look for someone else to meet my greatest desires? Should I look for someone else to protect me? Should I look for someone else to care for me? Should I look for someone else to find peace? Should I look to someone else to find joy? Should I look to someone else to, to provide for me? Should I look to someone else for the answers of life and why we're here? Should I look to someone else? And this is Jesus' response to them. Jesus replied, go back and report to John what you hear and see. The blind receive sight, the lame walk, those who have leprosy are cleansed, the deaf hear, the dead are raised, and the good news is proclaimed to the poor. And so the church are those that have decided that that's the answer. I've decided that I'm not looking for anybody else. And I'm in this relationship with Jesus where I'm a student. What do you mean? Well, if you're a follower of Jesus and in us as a church, we have to answer the call to be students of Jesus. It's just, it's it's absolutely, and it's not something like, hey, you sign on the line and that's part of the package. It is part of the package, but you have to make this decision and say, I'm going to do this. Like, I'm going to make this decision to be a student of Jesus. And what do you mean? Well, in John chapter 1, verse 38 through 39, it says this. There was a couple of disciples of, of, of John, John the Baptist, that were following Jesus. And he turns around and he says, Jesus saw them following and he asked, what do you want? Right? You ever had somebody that like really has it together and, and you know, maybe it's a businessman or somebody that you, you, know, you really want to be like them or somebody you really respect in a sport and, 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 and they just say, what do you want? She's like, I don't know, but I'm so glad to be talking to you. But they said this to him, rabbi, which means teacher. So they put themselves in a relationship with him saying, basically saying, like, we want to be followers of you. And this totally goes against everything. Because the rabbis during the day, like the greatest rabbis, would choose the greatest students. And if you've ever read the disciples of Jesus, they are not the greatest students. They're very much like you and I, in the sense that they don't necessarily have it all together, but they're hungry and they want this relationship. So they say to him, where are you staying? Remember the house? Remember the family? They're, they're, they're linking up. Can we be with you? And he says this, come, he replied, and you will see. So they went and saw where he was staying and they spent the day that day with him. It was about four in the afternoon. And so you see, that's how people have always come to Jesus and taken this next step of deciding to be a student of his. So Dallas Willard, One of my favorite authors, uh, he says this. He says, if I am Jesus' disciples, that means I am with him to learn from him how to be like him. With him to learn how to be like him. So there was four jobs of a first century disciple. So these disciples that would follow the rabbis, they had four jobs. Like this is what they were supposed to do. This is what they were all about. They're on the note sheets there. You can also get it online. But it's important because you say, what am I supposed to be doing as a follower of Jesus, as a Christian? Here's the first one. To memorize their teacher's words. To know the words of the teacher. Right? It's like this. Um, I notice my, my, my wife will, like, use different words with the kids or, 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 or with me right? And I'll use different words with her and the kids. And what happens is it's, there's like, when you hear that voice, it's the certain voice. There's words of affection. There's words of, hey, um, I need your attention. You know, so you use the name differently. You use the words differently. That's how you get to know people. You can sense things. You can hear things before they even tell you what they're talking about because you know their words, and so the first century disciples knew the words of their rabbi, and they would memorize them. And so the words of Jesus, your rabbi, your teacher, are in the New Testament, okay? Now, some people memorize, like, the whole her books and stuff. It's a good thing to do is to memorize verses and things, but the key thing is, is, that, is to know it, to be in it. The next thing is, is to learn their teacher's traditions and interpretations. And so... We have church traditions, like Vineyard has a way of doing things and things. You know those. But the key thing is, is like our whole focus is to point out to you to follow Jesus. And so you get to know his ways and interpretations, his ways of seeing things. Now, the next thing is, is to imitate their teacher's actions. Well, how would I do that? Well, look how Jesus treats the outcast. Look how Jesus... um, Pushes against someone that maybe is 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 um, doing injustice to another person. Look how Jesus um, treats the, the 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 non-religious person. Look how Jesus treats the religious person that has a cold heart. You know and treats people poorly. What, what does Jesus do? Well, he is he speaks straight with them, but he also loves them. Right? Some people will say, well, the you know the. Jesus treated the religious like he couldn't stand the religious. No, he spoke straight with them, but then, like a couple chapters later, you see he's at a party with the Pharisees. He's at a party with the people. So he would speak straight, but he'd spend time with them. He accepted them. And so, imitate the teacher's actions. That's what we're to do with Jesus. And the next thing is to raise up disciples. So there's the four jobs of a, first century, of a first century disciple. Now, Dallas Willard said this too in his book, The Divine Conspiracy. He says, I am learning from Jesus to live my life as he would live my life if he were I. I am not necessarily learning to do everything he did, but I am learning how to do everything I do in the manner that he did all that he did. And so church these pieces here, hospital and army, body and bride, house and school, all of those things are swirling around and meshing together as we gather. That's what you hopped into when you hopped into this body, the universal church, right? And then it expresses itself through a local body. And so you look at this and say, wow, this is amazing. Do I have to do all of these things? Like every moment, every time, that's not the point. The point is, is always heart. Because remember, who's the head of the body? Whose church is it? Well, it's Jesus's. And so that's why I put school last, because we link up with him and we become his student. And I don't know if you've ever prayed that prayer or said that to him or had that conversation and say, Lord, I'm your student. Would you teach me? You see it all throughout the gospels. Jesus, would you teach us to pray? Would you show us this? And so in your life, it's it's a prayer that Jesus loves to answer. In your life, would you say, Jesus, would you show me how to live my life the way you would live my life? And then you watch and listen. Jesus, you know, um, when when my wife does such and such, you know, how would you respond? You know, when, when my kids do such and such, Jesus, how would you respond as a mom? Uh, You know, Jesus, when my business partner wants to, you know, fudge the numbers here, you know, how would you respond on that? You know, Jesus, when this, right? And you can go down the line and, and it's this dialogue and he'll inform you and he'll show you and it's your life. That's what's so cool. You don't become Jesus. You become fully you and you learn from this great master, Jesus. And so we're going to have our worship team come back up here and, um, but I want to just lead you in, in just a brief time, just a prayer of of, of just kind of doing business with him. If, if, if that's the place that you're at and you're just saying, hey, um, Jesus, I want to be your student. Would you teach me? Would you lead me? So let's stand together. Yeah, so let's just pray real quick. I'm going to pray and then just we'll just take a, a moment where you can pray uh, yourself and just talk to the Lord like what you heard from him today. Um, Hopefully some of you felt empowered. I, I think, I think there, there I, I thought going in today, I think that there's somebody that like, God's calling you deeper into ministry. Like he's like, he's speaking to you like, hey, I've made you for certain things. Cause within the church, he has certain people do certain things. So I think there's somebody that maybe God has spoken to you before, but he's brought it back today. Like, hey, I want you to do this in my church. And so I'd love to pray for you for that. Or today you've just said, yeah, that's right. Some of you are feeling that you're like, you know what? Yeah, that's right. We're an army. And we're to 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 use the same weapon that Jesus did, which is his love and the power of God to change the world. I'm in. So just just talk to him about that. Lord, we just uh we bring you our real lives, God. We bring you our hearts, our minds, all that we are, Lord. But Lord, we don't want to play religious games. We like we want to really be your people. We really wanna be your hands and your feet, Jesus. We really, like when people ask like, hey, is Jesus the one or should I look for someone else that we would be able to say and look at the church here in Kansas City, the church corporately in Kansas City and that we would say, yeah, look what's going on. Look what Jesus is doing, continuing through his people. And so, Lord, we humbly ask that you would give us more responsibility in your kingdom. We humbly ask that you would show us what to do, God. Lord, those that are lacking in our society, show us how to heal them up. Those that are hurting God, send them to us. Places where an army needs to go in with the power and love of God, send us, God. God, would you help us to to feel like that bride, Lord, just spotless and pure? Would you work in us? So just take a minute and you just talk to the Lord and respond to what he's spoken to you. Just take a minute. Thanks for listening this week. If you're looking for ways to serve, give, or get connected, please visit VineyardKCWest.com.